Welcome back, everybody, to the TV Talk Machine Podcast. I am Jason Snell, as always, your co-host. And across the internet, for me, the soggy, soggy internet, the rain is falling on the internet as we speak, is your host, Chief TV Critic at The Hollywood Reporter, Mr. Tim Goodman. Hi, Tim. Hey, Jason. Woo-hoo! It's so soggy. So It is. There's totally water on the wires, yeah. everything. We're being rained on. We don't, Californians don't know about this rain business. Um, it's it's yeah, so rare. The but wet, we are, wide web. Yeah, we are mm-hmm. being, we are being uh, dampened. Even as we speak, <laughs> we're being dampened. And not in any yes. way other than by rain. Um, a lot to get through in this episode. It's packed, jam packed. It's packed of goodness. You've we been working it, yeah. hard and watching shows and writing things, and there's a lot of uh, of uh, Tim Goodman stories to talk about. How about that? It's going to be slow next week, so it's it's good that we got stuff to talk about. All right, that's good. Um, so let's start with your uh, critics' notebook. That, of course, always sad when one of these unexpected critics' notebooks happens when it's in appreciation of somebody who's passed away. But a first ballot Hall of Famer in the TV Hall of Fame were one to exist. Stephen Bochco passed away, and for those young people out there who don't know, um, his shows, like multiple shows, he produced really completely changed the way tv was was made yeah i mean it's i mean even even his even his misses you could argue that murder one which was a kind of a miss for him really set the set the template for the that long slow boil yeah every uh, every show is like murder one now (laughs) yeah every show is basically murder one but of course hill street blues la law nypd blue um and yes you're i i i uh i got to watch last week uh that guy Don Giller, who does the, um, who d- has like the complete archive of David Letterman footage. Oh, uh-huh. um, he where they like on Letterman's last episode, they actually worked with him to get the footage so that they could make the montage because he's got it all. He oh, apparently like several years ago posted a YouTube video. It's great. I'll put it in the show notes if I can find it. Um, and it's all of David Letterman's uh, references to Cop Rock the Stephen Bochco <laughs> show and it's like he describes it and it's coming on he gets his mom to review it and his mom and so it's like the peak of like 1990 David Letterman which is just he's in perfect form and yes. it's amazing and in the end it gets canceled and he announces that to the studio audience in one of the last parts of that and uh he says Paul you know why uh cop rock got uh, canceled no David no I don't too much cop not enough rock <laughs> <laughs> But you know, you look at something like Glee, and uh, you know it was about a high school high school singers and not police. But uh, musical uh, like musical episodes, musical series are a thing that did happen just way after Cop Rock. Oh yeah, I mean they did a musical on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, yeah. so it's like you know it, it it didn't become it wasn't all that, and it was a noble failure because he was anytime you're way ahead of I mean like there's I mean I think there's been other things that have ha- happened. Uh, I think that I'm pretty sure the Singing Detective was before Cop Rock, but that maybe um, I could be wrong about that. But like he was as far as like for American TV trying to get that on there, he was pretty far out there. Oh, that was '86. Um, yeah, that was that definitely predated it. Dennis Potter series yeah. from the UK. So and that was that's kind of the gold standard. But yeah. if you look at the you know Hill Street Blues, LA Law, oh, man. NYPD Blue, like, I mean ensemble, <laughs> ongoing storylines, kind of a- having almost you know having a soap opera kind of ongoing storyline angle along with um 
with uh, vignettes and other kind of stories. That was not something that was particularly common or, uh, you know, and certainly not successful. And Hill Street Blues, you know, that was a that was a a moment you can put the, the post in the ground right there and say, like, television change there. And L.A. Law, oh, similarly, NYPD Blue pushed all sorts of boundaries that we would now consider tame. But at the time were, uh, you know, there was that and you mentioned in your article that and Homicide, Life on the Street on NBC. Those two were basically prefiguring cable drama on network absolutely they were both gold standard tv series no matter what however you look at it they're both yeah i think both of those shows are hall of fame cop shows and there's there's so many cop shows and there's really like these you know there's six or seven that you could maybe make the argument are you know gold standard and uh, those two are certainly one and they were dueling on television at the same time which was a great time i was a bigger i was a bigger homicide fan sure but, me too um they were ha- they were happening at the same time and they were in breaking ground but really i think i think a lot, especially a lot of people well look people can be the, the the right age to understand it and still not um know how revolutionary hill street blues was in 1980 81 yeah because you know we take so much of the stuff that for granted now because it's just it's just embedded in our in our brains that that's how it's done when it wasn't that's i mean to look at the home life of the cops was huge to actually you know um the net you have to think about the network pressures then they were god they're i mean i complain in my run as a tv critic um which didn't start until the late 90s that you know, television is so stuck in its ways. Well, you can imagine how stuck in their ways they were in 81, which is stunning to me. And, you know, there was like, there was a rule that you just didn't introduce a lot of characters. You just didn't because you couldn't, the audience could not follow it. And so you, and if you did, you had to do it really slowly or they had to be so cookie cutter that they were immediately identifiable, which is still a problem on television. But boy, Hill Street Blues introduced a lot of people and they would only show little bits of their story and then come back to them next week. And sometimes they would skip them yep. and then they would, you know, and that was like unheard of, but that's how stories are told now. And also the idea that actual dialogue could bleed into other dialogue <laughs> so that you would actually have this, ex- this exacting, you know, verisimilitude about how it is, how people talk over each other in a crowded room. Yeah, the the, the squad room in Hill, the squad room mm-hmm. in Hill Street Blues wasn't exactly a Robert Altman film, but it was unlike anything on TV before, where you had that. You know, you had different people saying different things and having it be a little harder to follow and a little bit more kind of a, of a hubbub and and uh, yeah, the minor characters and minor storylines. The fact that you could give, you know, uh, you you could you could mix uh, serious and funny because there would be comic relief storylines and then there would be very very serious life and death kind of storylines and those all got kind of mixed together which not very many shows again there are exceptions like mash did that uh, in a about the same time a little bit earlier but mm-hmm. you know it's it's for for the drama like i mean i think modern television drama it would be hard to pick a show and say this is when it started what we would consider a modern tv drama to this day than hill street blues i feel like that yeah. you know you could throw in like saint elsewhere maybe in that from that same era as a modern kind of hospital show with a ensemble and all that but there's like there are the shows you can point to and say it was not like this before this and then this not only did this happen but it succeeded in terms of ratings, it was, I think, never huge, but it did okay. And in terms of awards, it won every award. And it changed how, how people like thought about what was possible on TV. That's a huge thing. 
Yeah, I mean that's you, you can't over you can't underestimate how how important that was uh, or, or overestimate. Um, it, clearly, it, I've got yoga on the brain here. I've um, got the um, you have yogurt on your brain. Oh, yoga, yoga. on your brain. Yeah, yoga you've been and stretching. Yogurt. Actually, I did have yogurt today. We but are the best yoga. stretched television podcast going um, today. I can guarantee uh, it. We, we really are. By the way, I want to just take a quick Columbo time okay. out here and say that today By was the, my 60th. 60th yoga class. Oh, congratulations. Since December. Um, mm-hmm. oh, by the way, Stephen Bochco worked on Columbo. <laughs> he did work on Columbo. Yeah, he wrote a White Shadow episode, too. Oh, boy. That's yeah. amazing. So uh, you had uh, you have a great um, story. We'll obviously link to it. We link to all of your stuff in the, that we talk about in the show. But um, you have a great story about, as a young TV critic, as, in, as a newly uh, forged TV critic, um, having a conversation with Les Moonves about a uh, terrible sitcom that Stephen Bochco is producing for CBS. And it's such a great story because you basically said, why? Why would CBS, <laughs> which was trying to go uh, move away from edgy fare back to its, you know, welcome home. I remember that very much. Like, mm-hmm. comfortable, we will not challenge you. Why are you doing this super racy show that included the phrase pussy posse? Um, and... His his response to to you to a TV critic face to face just blew me away. It was literally, oh yeah, that's going to be a failure. I'll cancel it immediately. But you know, but now we're in business with Stephen Bochco, and look what else he'll do. Um, yes. Fascinating, just amazing. And what he did was a good show that didn't actually make it, but the yeah, that he, he literally said he's a he's a home run hitter, and we need a home run. And they did because the season before they tried to be Fox, and they had a, they had like a you know. All these racy shows that turned off the CBS core audience, and yep. then, hence the Welcome Home slogan, which is like, okay, we, we're sorry that we tried to be Fox. And and at the time, everybody wanted to be Fox because they were new and edgy, but like they were like, okay, that's not us. We tried it. We're going to take our bikinis off and put back on our whatever and, you know, uh, our onesies. <laughs> and we're going to just like be like a place you can have good old American fare. Uh, and that show just stood out like a sore thumb and it's 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 memorable you know it's memorable to me because you know i was a rookie and and moonves was great and obviously all these years later he still is great and to actually come out and say that it was such a what a mind like you said it's like a mind-blowing experience and i was like i'm gonna really love this beat because if you if you you know because it's like being a critic was not even the fun part i really want and i still to this day cover the industry like a like a beat and i was a music person before i was a music critic and you couldn't get any executives to talk especially if you're at a newspaper and boy to get in there and actually mingle with the executives and hear things like that. The fact that he said, yeah, I know it's terrible and I'm going to cancel it right away, basically. And sure enough, he, they aired one episode and he pulled it mm-hmm. and he just said, Botch goes a home run hitter. We need a home run. And Brooklyn South was a really good cop show. It was just, I think the timing was wrong and the people were kind of over cop shows at that point and they wanted to move on. And that's unfortunate, but, um, he actually it was all lined up for success it just you know he just fouled one off yeah he he, uh yeah just didn't quite get the timing right in what it was at 97 when they did that but that was and the story's uh, longer people will read it when they do it because the whole there's a whole thing with about bochco and simple shepherd that's kind of simple shepherd that made me laugh that was great (laughs) i was just like what in the world (laughs) 
<sighs> yeah, that's that's funny. You know, that was the same that uh that was the same the the uh, Brooklyn South was the year after Easy Streets too, which was another yeah Easy Streets was totally revolutionary. Great great show, Paul Haggis's show on CBS, and it didn't make it either. <laughs> you know, it was wild, right? Yeah, nine episodes, and it was uh, it was dead. Well, anyway, Stephen Bochco, uh, definitely Hall of Fame uh, Hall of Fame TV producer, totally changed the industry, and he passed away. Uh, in this last week so uh thanks for the remembrance there is a great yeah people should read it that's a great uh hilarious uh kind of story of tim going to taking Stephen botchko here and going to civil shepherd here and then coming back to Stephen botchko when he was awkwardly eating dinner next to you lunch yes oh sorry lunch yes where the the luncheon where they put the industry executives and the tv critics together at the same table Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i can guess they did not really appreciate that all right, let's talk about some new shows. Um, the Dangerous Book for Boys on uh, on Amazon. Uh, what do you think? Well, the short of that is I wish it was better. I thought it was going to be better. Um, yeah. they, uh, they are approaching it in a way that could have been better because it's like there's a fantasy element to it. But it's really basically a straight-ahead network-styled sitcom, which is hugely disappointing for for somebody like Amazon where they could, you know, take a bigger swing. If you look at, um, you know, the lemony snicket stuff on Netflix shows like Pete and Pete, uh, which I think is a classic, uh, that's how you do something creative. And they just didn't do that with dangerous book for boys. It's set up to be fantastical that way, uh, based on some whimsy and some, some, uh, you know, fun spirited playfulness. And it's just kind of boring. So, uh, it's, I, I'm always disappointed when a streaming service, acts like a network and doesn't take the the big leap. So it's, it's just, it's a miss. Oh, that's too bad. That's too bad. That's Brian Cranston's involved in that, right? Isn't this that one? He is. He actually wrote a number of them. Mm. Mm -hmm. So I feel like we mentioned Howard's in, but you hadn't done the review yet. And and your review is up now. This is on stars. It's a BBC co-production and it's got, uh, uh, a bunch of good names. Kenneth Lonergan um, wrote he it. Wrote Teddy it. McDonald mm-hmm. produ- or directed it, and mm-hmm. uh, it's got a good cast. Uh, uh, Haley Atwell, uh, and uh, you know, for those who are used to the Merchant Ivory version, um, you had you had good things to say about this version. Yeah, I, I really liked uh, Howard's End. I think that uh, the casting is really is really strong. Uh, everybody needs good. It's um, you know, it's funny. Somebody th- thought that I was dissing on the Merchant Eye thing because I was talking about it's kind of pop, pomp and circumstance porn. But if you go back and watch it, it really is that way. It got rewarded for that. People kind of love that. Like every every outfit um was immaculate every frame of that thing was basically framed to be to bring out the the anglophile in you but this one is just kind of it um it's not you know essentially more modern um but it's slightly more modern so the uh the female characters are very strong they're very strong and they're moving uh um strong performances probably a little bit more than the original movie uh it's been a long time you don't have to like let it, i think that um the merchant ivory version is a classic um but you shouldn't be afraid to remake it i would actually like to see something much more modern done uh for howard's end but i thought really strong performances on on a on a well-done cast and lonergan did enough where he's got Ian Forster's main bits in there and then he was able to have an ear for the dialogue and just slightly tweak it so that uh uh the 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 women were a more modern and uh independent and it was just it's 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 uh 
you you can't go wrong with it. It's four four episodes, miniseries, and everybody everybody who likes that kind of stuff should watch it. Cool, very cool. Um, okay, next up is BBC America's Killing Eve, which uh, has uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Sandra Oh in it. Uh, how's this one? This is a spy show, spy spies yeah. and assassins. <clears throat> Spies and Assassins. This is really good. It's uh, this starts on Sunday. I think this is going to be this is. I think people are going to if they watch this, they're going to love it. It's already been renewed for a second season. It's really, I think, surprising. So, Fieber Waller Bridge from uh, Fleabag and other things of some of the Star Wars movies and uh, a number of things. She wrote this. It's based on a series of books that already existed, and she's got um, she's got. Uh, Sandra O oh, kind of so it's it, it, I think on the surface if you were just to look at the clip you're like oh right this is Sandra O's oh post American like you know her little I'm just going to do like a one off British series um but it's not it's bigger than that and and not only that it's because Jodie Comer who is a lot of people may not know her she was the uh kidnap victim in a pretty interesting BBC miniseries called 13 where she was so shell shocked and she was just so you know, she was kidnapped for like 12 years. So she's like a husk of herself, this character. Well, now she is the assassin. So she's 25 years old in real life and plays a 25 year old assassin, um, who's clearly a sociopath. And Sandra O, oh, uh, is like, a, she was British born, lived in the States for a really long time, has gone back, is married, is living over there and, and works at MI5 and is bored in her job, but has this knack for like spotting this trend, which she thinks she's, got this trend on this. There's a political assassination. And she says to an MI6 agent, this was done by a woman. And um, that sets up her involvement of trying to track this, um, this assassin down. And so it's, it's two very strong female leads written by a woman. So there's a gender flip going on, on roles that are traditionally set up for men. And it's just so tired in, in that, in that way that this gives it its own fresh, uh, outlook. I think that maybe because Phoebe Waller Bridge was involved in this, it would be easy to like expect like something super different. Um, and it's not. It falls to some of the conventions of the form, but the performances are great. I think Jodie Comer is going to be a huge surprise to people. She is so good as this assassin. I don't think they get the, the exact tone right, which is so hard to do when you're being ultra violent and you're being funny as well. So. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a tough one, but I think people are going to find this on Sunday and think, oh, I love this. I'm going to keep watching. Good to hear. Good to hear. I like a positive review. Oh, um, I was going to mention, so this is a Sunday show. So BBC America loved uh, Saturdays. And I mentioned, I think on a previous week that Doctor Who was going to be on the BBC in on Sundays is the rumor this fall. So I wonder if there is a concerted effort already being waged by BBC America to just give up and move to Sunday. Yeah, I think it's. I, I thought the I thought the approach was kind of smart because there's so uh, much TV on Sunday already. <laughs> yeah, but I think they're just saying they that they're thinking you know we we can't punt on those who might actually watch from the get go because you're losing the 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 initial you know you're you're just assuming people are going to tape it and record and watch it later, right? Uh, and now they're saying you know we can't really punt on that. We sh- we we our stuff is strong enough. We think to to get some audience and then they can tape it if they want to. So that's fine. All right. uh, Moving on to uh, a returning show that you and I both love. It's back season two of Legion 
is here. I have not watched the premiere yet, so, so tell me how is it? How how's how's I I know it's going to be weird. Um, we also got a, a letter writer, which I should probably mention now. Um, uh, listener Jim wrote in to point out that uh, the FX posted on YouTube a uh, a season one Legion recap that's about a minute and a half long, and exists. It's basically David telling him his own alter ego because it's that kind of show what happened last season um so that that's good uh, that's speaking good. speaking of recaps so how is it uh well you know I, because we i watched four episodes we didn't get the um we didn't get the you know previously on thing and they right. did, so it, i'm sure it'll happen um but i still think no matter what they say or what um uh this character says you cannot watch this without having watched the first episode, yeah. first season. I mean, you just you just can't, and because it is, I laughed so hard because I, I mean, I love it. I love the fact that like we're in this world now where FX probably there's part of their their brain that says, yeah, it would be great if people could just come to season two and say, hey, glad you guys renewed it. I was thinking about this. I'm going to start tonight, but. They they must know somewhere that they 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 can't they can't because the first hour is so delightfully twisted and nonsensical it is crazy and it just keeps it keeps getting weirder I will say this at the end at towards the end of each episode they do make a a concerted effort to sort of branch out a little bit and like stick the landing a little bit more as as it relates to like reminding people that there is a backstory and it's moving in a forward direction. Hmm. Yeah, that is the constant. I mean, last year, Legion walked that line perfectly in letting you know there was forward movement, I think, anyway, forward movement in the story and that the story was happening and that you could make sense of it with also the weirdness going on. And that is tricky, right? Because if you fall off, then it becomes nonsensical um, if you fall off on one side of it. And I suppose if you fell off on the other side, it would be boring, but that seems unlikely to happen with Legion. It's more likely the other one, the other way would be the problem that you might not actually understand uh, quite where they were going. Yeah, and, and and like they definitely. I mean, I just laughed because I mean that's just part of me. The reason I laughed was because it's such a it's such a programming leap of faith that there's nothing they could do. They even there's even like a there's even kind of like a like a weird short time jump that they take, which further complicates things. Um, and and like the, I watched the first, I was watching these episodes, and I'm like, oh. This other part here actually has not really been adequately explained, um, but we're all just kind of going with it. And I, I loved it. It's a visual delight. I, I didn't want to have to go back, and unfortunately I did, but I didn't want to have to go back and do a lot of comparisons to Twin Peaks, but I did. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I think that if you were just to watch these first few episodes, you're going to be like, what is even happening here? Um, until they get the little seeds where um, you were you are reminded that there is a pretty basic story that's going forward. Um, and it's surround like the, the, it's a pretty simple story. And then 98% of everything that surrounds it is just weird. Um, <clears throat> and, and I think that uh, FX was in a little bit of a jam in that, you know, even for people who watch season one, you come back and you're like, wait, because there's this time jump and allegiances have shifted without, any inclination that they were going to shift or um, that it was going to go in this direction. You're you, there's a, there's a taking stock moment that takes more than an episode where you're like, huh? Okay. So this isn't a trick. This isn't like 
I, I, I have to actually believe that this is this is what's happening. So I, my my little sense that are they are they are they tricking me? Is this going to at the end of the episode, or are they, or am I going to find out that they've been kidnapped or something? You know, none of there's a lot of weird stuff going on. And if you haven't seen the first, you are completely in the dark. But if you have seen the first, I think you're going to be continue to love it. I think that there's uh, there's some real weirdness going on that is is fun to watch and um you know i i think that rachel keller and the cast and everybody is just you know dan stevens is so fun in that role it's so so much different from from downton abbey i still to this day cannot watch him do this and think huh that's that's downton abbey boy right there and he's (laughs) couldn't be any more out of fish out of water here but uh, yeah it's uh it's funny and they introduce a new character um it's a lot of stuff a lot of good stuff all right i'm looking forward to it i just uh i actually was finishing off some other shows and i decided i was going to not dive into legion i could i could leave it for a few days and and finish off um some other stuff i wanted to mention by the way some news about fx the people who brought us legion that i i I mention it now because i think the way legion has been done gives me confidence for this fx announced this week that they are going ahead with a pilot for a tv series based on why the last man which is a uh a fantastic comic book series ran for 60 episodes by Brian K. Vaughn, who has also uh, written for TV, um, and uh, Michael Green, who worked um, with Brian mm-hmm. Fuller on American Gods, yeah. is is uh, the showrunner for that. And um, I am, uh, let's see, oh, and, uh, and the, the, a couple other people uh, from uh, Jessica Jones, um, how do you say, is it Ida or Aida, uh, uh, Mashaka Kroll from Jessica Jones and turn and, uh, Melina Matsukas, um, is going to mm-hmm. direct who did wow. insecure and master of none. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a pilot. We'll see how it goes, but why the last man, great comic series. And when I think that it's the people who are also broadcasting legion i think that's a great place for that show to land because i think why the last man has the potential to be it's not the same as legion but to 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 be an interesting take on an interesting bit of subject matter at a place that will accept that it's going to be a little bit weird um Mm -hmm. for those who don't know why the last man man sounds sort of like it's a a apocalyptic story but it's only half apocalyptic because it's a story of a world where one day every man on earth dies and only women are left, except for Yorick, the last man alive. And he becomes <laughs> a pawn in a bunch of uh, interesting games about, like, what do we do with this guy? And how do we find him? And why did he survive? And can we use him to repopulate the species? And he has a monkey. Um that's not really relevant, except that, you know, it's a guy and a monkey. Monkeys are fun. And, yeah, monkeys uh, are fun. It's a good, uh, it's a really great story. So I, I'm fascinated by that. So we'll see how... Uh, how that goes but fx seems like the place for a show like that is what i'm saying yeah there's a you know i think there's a downturn next week there's not a whole lot of interesting and there might be some returning series but there's not a whole lot of new stuff coming up but boy like right i mean like thinking about this the americans returned legion returns mm-hmm. there's howard Den, which is scrumptious killing eve is really exciting uh, there's just really good stuff and everywhere. I'll, I'll I, toss in there two shows that had very good seasons, just wrapped up their season, so I wanted to at least give a shout out. Counterpart uh, finished its first season. Yeah. Uh, so great. Mm-hmm. Um, we we did get a letter from uh, John in the 619 who pointed out there is a website called 
TV wise, I'll put it in the show notes that keeps track of what US series have been acquired for the UK. We were asking that last time and counterpart uh-huh. not yet sold in the UK. So UK people can get it off the back of a truck, I guess, or they can oh. be patient, but, oh. um, but so good. Great first season. Um, I heard some people who were complaining that, that, that things didn't get resolved at the end of it. And all I, what I told them, and actually, this actually solved their problem. When I told them this, I said it was originally picked up for 20 episodes across two seasons they knew the entire time they built the first season that they were going to have another season Mm -hmm. to continue their story and so of course nothing got resolved in the season finale (laughs) they they you know they're coming back for more but it did spin the show in a bunch of different directions with uh, questions that maybe you didn't ask yourself about the premise that you now have to ask most Mm -hmm. importantly who is management running this entire operation (laughs) right yeah because the Uh answer to that that we thought we were getting and that the characters thought we were getting oh we didn't get so that was that was really great great season great performances highly recommend that people check that out now it's all it's all there you could sign up for some service that offers stars streaming and just watch them all if you wanted to mm-hmm. and then um i plugged it before i'll say it again magicians season three ended um great season uh, a bunch of great episodes i didn't love the last episode mostly because i felt like at some point I'm curious what you think about this for shows that that know that they're coming back. I feel like the most satisfying season finale gives you some closure on the story you've been telling for the current season, especially if you're something like the magicians where they kind of have a, a seasonal arc. Like there, there really mm-hmm. is like, this is the season about this thing. And then they move on. And the magicians episode, uh, finale episode, I felt like they kind of skipped past the resolution to the setup of the next season. And I, I, after thinking about it, cause I, I was kind of disappointed afterward and it was, I mean, people should check it out. It's a great season, but I had that moment where I thought, I wonder if that's why I'm feeling this way is that you've got to, if you're a writer for TV, you've got to be patient enough to give your audience a little bit of resolution, a little bit mm-hmm. of payoff for what they've been through the, over the course of the season before you pull the rug out from under them and turn into complication that's going to lead you into the next season and i think i think they didn't stick the landing on the magicians because i felt like they didn't really pay off the season as much as blow past it to whatever their premise is for the next season and uh that's a really strong observation because that is that's a that can be like a lethal mistake because especially in a time you know i mean if people are going to stick through the whole season they're probably going to be still diehard fans but you don't want to upset somebody and think like hey man i invested all this time in here a little bit more resolution and to my satisfaction would be nice for my effort before we go into season four yeah Yeah, i totally agree you want the next season to be like a tidbit like in in legion there's that tidbit at the end of season one where the ball comes down and sucks him in at the end of the credits and you're like what right Right. but but legion Mm -hmm. season one still had a resolution and then they kicked it off and that i know it's a tough line to walk and um and you want people to be kind of involved in what's going to come next and 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 like we've talked about like chew on it over the the break between the seasons but um i think if you go too far that direction like magicians uh, the finale seemed a little more concerned in starting off plot lines for season four than it did concluding the plot lines for season three and it's not yeah. like there wasn't some conclusion in there it just like it felt like the mixture was off a little bit and it's too bad because like i said i, I the, talk about the show that i watched but i thought was only okay and never really lived up to its potential i just thought it was fine and in season three it 
it blew past my estimation of its potential. They did an amazing job. It is a very good show. Now I will, I have started trying to turn people on to watching it from the beginning because I don't think it started out bad, but now I can say it gets so good and the first couple seasons are fine and then the third season will blow you away. And so anyway, it, it concluded that was my observation was I was a little unfulfilled and not quite enough resolution and a little too much like don't don't miss season four coming next year yeah yeah that's troubling oh well um but uh but still very good and and i want to throw in just real quickly too that um, people should not forget because it's earlier march uh, people should not forget that barry on hbo right uh is really something it really is so if you're not watching that you should start watching i i think that's that's really good because i've definitely heard people talk talk about that i know that you liked it um uh, a lot of other critics liked it too. I haven't seen it yet, but I've definitely heard people talking about it. So it's good to revisit it now that it's now that it's here, and you can you can catch up on HBO Go if you if you uh, if you so desire. Um, yeah. Oh, I'll, and I'll mention just uh, in the forthcoming now that Sci-Fi has done this thing now where they're they're maybe intelligently uh, spreading out some of their originals. Um, the Expanse season three starts next week. They 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 um, are not running Magicians and Expanse overlapped anymore. They're running them back to back, which I think is a good idea. And I think uh, that's smart. Yeah. And and Expanse, uh, what what Magicians does for kind of fantasy storytelling, I would say Expanse does for the traditional sort of sci-fi spaceship story. Um, a lot of great characters. It's not your you know it, it is not your mid budget. Um, green screen, uh, like uh, budgets, budgets are collapsing. Kind of a space show. It like it looks great. It is trying to do some things that our character, you know, are of the level of a prestige drama for mm-hmm. uh, you know on a spaceship, which is you know that's a that's a, a big challenge, and they've been mostly up to it. So it's coming back. People should check it out. Good. That's yeah, the I'm nerd excited. beat. I got my nerd beat in there. Yeah. Uh, Want to do some letters? Let's do it. All right. Well, I already thanked Jim for telling us about the season one Legion recap, but I'll put that in the show notes. Um, and I also mentioned John mentioning uh, where you can find out what, if you're in the UK, what uh, what shows are coming from the US to the UK and where they're going. Um, Dean, our friend from the 707, Still now, traveling. In the, now in the 559. He's a traveling man. <laughs> right. <laughs> he, he and this is a fair, fair question. I think he maybe has the answer, but he says, I, "I'm curious why you, ha- you guys haven't talked about the big TV story that is the return of Roseanne to big ratings. I think it's interesting in terms of industry trends, but I can also understand wanting to avoid the the uh, the, the conversation about this. What do you What do you think? Well, I'm I'm not watching it because I don't like Roseanne and I don't like um I don't. I don't like Roseanne Barr and I don't like Trump, so I'm not watching it. Um, I just have too many choices. Like, I don't think that that's a, um, a shocking <clears> – <throat> that shouldn't be shocking to anybody. <laughs> uh, and I don't like um, – I, I don't like – I know why they do it. I think it's good business. Um, I'm not a particular fan of rebooting. It's it's smart for networks to do it because they don't have, they don't have that much um, to offer and they need to make – uh, you know, as far as like they can't, you know, they find themselves. We've been over this many times, but when they find themselves where they can't try to do something really wacky because if no one goes for it, it's going to be you know one and done, and and then it's hard to get that traction. They really want to try to keep people watching 
um, and you know, away from streaming and away from, you know, recording stuff for later. And the best way that they can do that is to give them some comfort food, something that they're familiar with. And so I don't think it's a, I think it's a fine strategy. I would probably be doing it as well. It doesn't interest me as a viewer. It certainly doesn't interest me as a critic. Um, and honestly, it's like, I, I've seen some people say, well, you should be, you know, you guys should be talking about this. And I'm like, I'm not interested in talking about it. Um, I'm, you know, I, I think that uh, it'll only bring out the worst in me. The the thing I find fascinating is that it is from a distance, and I haven't watched it either because, again, I, I didn't like Roseanne when it was on, quite frankly. So now that it's back, I still mm-hmm. don't care. But mm-hmm. um, the – and I never really liked Roseanne Barr. Um, I, I'm fascinated with the idea of what if you did All in the Family where the uh, person who is in charge of the show agrees with Archie Bunker. And as far mm-hmm. as I can tell, that's they're trying to make the All in the Family argument with um, with Roseanne that, you know, the way you could ar- argue that this show is, is it's about somebody who has these values and another member of the family who has these values and they clash and they discuss issues of the day. And boy, that's just the recipe for All in the Family. Um, the difference there is that um, Norman Lear didn't didn't believe that what Archie Bunker said was um, the point of the show, and I think Roseanne Barr believes that what Roseanne Barr says on Roseanne is indeed the point of the show. Um, I'll point out, uh, by the way, some news. Uh, I think broken by your colleague Leslie Leslie Goldberg, that uh, Kenya Barris, the the producer of Blackish, is trying to get out of his deal with ABC and go somewhere else. And this stems from that kind of ugly incident where he did an episode of Blackish that I mean that he did. I think he wrote it and directed mm. it that got shelved because it was going to address um, political issues, including uh, NFL players protesting mm-hmm. during yep. the national anthem and ABC. Uh, basically didn't want to run it and they came to great disagreement about it um and i think that uh the roseanne story dovetails here because roseanne's episodes have made comments on politics that have gone through but blackish tried to do this episode and it got uh spiked and now we hear that he's trying to get out of his deal with abc that's not great and we'll pile on top of that that this week on roseanne <laughs> there's a joke at the expense of blackish and, and uh and fresh off the boat where they basically mm-hmm. make fun of the premise of those shows by saying that what they're really about is uh they're just like us that's all you need to know click and turn off the tv after after they are shown falling asleep and not watching abc's primetime lineup i yeah. will tell you if i was a producer on either of those shows i would be furious with abc right now and especially if abc had looked at my content and spiked it because it was too controversial and then let this crap go through yeah and and the problem in doing it is that because they're so panicked and chased and i don't think there's a very strong leadership at um uh at, at abc is from the entertainment um uh perspective i just think that people are you know in over their head there and they're you know the you know i i it, it's kind of a mess it's always been a mess at abc because you have to think about disney um and, and there's so many overlords there but i think they saw the massive ratings and they like you know obviously they renewed it and immediately, immediately. and and i think they basically uh, you know you you make a deal with the devil and you forget that when Roseanne was actually in production, 
she she as a person alienated so many people actually on the show who were working on the show um and you're gonna you know if you think she's turned a leaf she hasn't and now you're two of your your shows that really helped define you as a network were are already hits and have done really well for your the diversity issue and then you come in basically with a show that that is this sort of like white trumpism uh aspect and then they're making fun of your your shows about people of color man uh, that's a tough that's a tough position to be in and let's let's pile on i read a very nice essay by somebody who did the job of watching an episode of roseanne that i think might have been this week's too or it was last week's where um the plot of the episode is basically that uh that uh, grandma thinks that their child is a is a terrible parent and too permissive and that if i were taking care of my you know if i was the parent of your grandchild i would uh stick their head under a faucet and uh and treat them badly because these uh these kids today are too soft and i thought well that speaks to a demographic doesn't it yeah i mean it, it just seems like garbage to me this is this is pandering by uh by aging uh performers presumably with aging writers who who've decided that their way to succeed is to complain about how the world has changed, which to me is just like the saddest possible thing. And the fact that there's an audience for it, I'm not surprised because there are a lot of people out there who want to be told that the, that the way they did it was the right way and that the new yeah. ways are bad. And if yeah. that's your comfort food, then uh, bless you. But uh, it, it, it's not, uh, it, it's fantasy stuff. Yeah, and so again, that's like that's largely why I'm not watching it. Yeah. And you know, it's funny when people say, "Oh, you're you," you know, I've seen I've seen that comment. Like, you you should be reviewing this. No, that's not. We don't have to review whatever we want to review. And it's like I'm I'm disinterested in that topic. So you you can find that somewhere else. Yeah. Anyway, by the way, there's also a theory that the uh, that uh, this entire season is taking place in a uh, in a uh, in a fantasy world like the last season of uh, Roseanne was. It's yeah. Like, okay. Nice. Shine on you, crazy diamonds! I will say again, if you've got if you've got head cannon for Roseanne's uh, Roseanne's journey through uh, being angry at those uh, millennials, then uh, great. Mm, <laughs> Good luck. But anyway, Dean, hey, ha- satisfied? <laughs> he stirred it up. He knew what he was doing. Yeah. Uh, this is Socrates from the plus six one. Yeah. Pretty good. Happy Easter guys. He says, uh, the idea of hate watching in your listener mail made me look through my extensive TV watch list to see which shows I've stuck with. And at least 90% of shows under three seasons long, the longest I'm still watching is shameless, which the last two or three seasons have, uh, have, Ooh, that's uh, have definitely hate watching. <laughs> I, I still find myself fast forwarding to, I gave up Grey's anatomy along with the Shondaverse last year as all those shows just continue cycles of really uninspired and derivative storytelling, which is a real shame because it led to the thought that I can't remember the last time I watched a series finale of a network program since how i met your mother i'm one of the very few that didn't hate the end of that series uh people hate on the way it ended but come on it's all about the first five minutes of the pilot I, yeah i i agree with you socrates anyway he goes on it also ties in with this nostalgia reboot phase i mean how long can it really last i see they're renewing them left right and center but if the fact that i don't finish almost any show i start and they can now choose to erase entire plot points isn't it a bit short-sighted of networks to burn through old programming when visitors seeking the warm comfort of old school roseanne and will and grace when a plot point or character development arrives anyway simpler bullet points what's a show you've never caught the ending of that you invested the most time in. Ooh, that's a 
Mm. Like something where you invested a lot of time, and then in the end, you're like, "Yeah, I just, saw the ending, I just, huh? give, I give, give up. Just, I give up." Um, and he also says, "If you could bring back any show for a revival, um, set in the time since it was gone, what would you bring back?" I would bring back the nanny. <laughs> 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 just oh, to God. have the theme song back that made me uh, laugh good job socrates wow. that is socrates um, now now you're going into the penalty something box you that. invested i never watched the end of er and i watched er for like seven seasons or six seasons yep. because it lasted exactly. like 12 seasons and who, yeah all, who, all those long running ones that? i was out on those endings um uh i guess you could theoretically say i never watched the ending but there you know there are separate seasons of like the killing what they went three seasons. Mm. I never saw that third season at all. So I was like, hmm. so that one I didn't see. Um, the Office is a good example. I actually I was, I was talking to somebody about this because there's a new incomparable podcast uh, where they're watching The Office episode by episode, mm-hmm. and I got off the Office train when spoilers for The Office uh, when Jim and Pam got married. I thought, mm-hmm. you know what? I'm done. That's a, like yeah. a nice little bit of closure. Um, I already knew that they were going to have huge cast turnover. And I was like, no, this is a great yeah. ending and I'm not really mm-hmm. feeling it. And so I've never seen past that episode of The Office. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, I don't know. I, that's, I'm going to think about this one because I'm sure there's probably a pretty stunning one out there. Yeah, something where you invested like, ah, in. Never saw that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the, I, w- I was going to say, like, uh, the, the uh, 90s uh, Star Trek shows, if taken as a whole, like, I really got off the Star Trek train during latter day Deep Space Nine and Voyager. But the fact is, I remember tuning in for the finales. So they got me back for just for the end. So that doesn't count. That doesn't count at all. But I don't know. The Office is a good answer for me. I'm going to stick with NER. Anything, anything. Like Lauren used to watch um, Grey's Anatomy, right? But after like five years, she was like, I'm done with that. And that's still going, right? So. mm. Yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't do those. You know, well, look, I'm not, I'm not caught up at all on, on um, um, Jane the Virgin. And that's probably a more timely one. But I would say that not as far as like. Uh, the actual idea that he brings up is, is I think irrelevant because I've written about that where critics don't get to see the endings of shows because right. there's so many new shows. Yeah. So, so you, you, I mean, I'll eventually see these, but boy, I could, I could basically anything in the last two or three years, if it's a very, the percentage would probably be over 50% that I haven't, sure. I haven't finished because it's just so, there's so many of them. And my, my answer to Socrates' question about any show for a revival, I think I've said this before on this podcast, but I'll say it again, which is Seinfeld. I, I would love them to back up the, the money truck to, to Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld and say, do six episodes of Seinfeld. I'd love to see that. That's wow. what I would like to see. I don't know if I would love to see it, but okay. I'll probably watch it, though. Well, I mean, the, the premise here is it's something. I used to say no. the X-Files, but a oh boy. Mm-mm. 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 No. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no, I was proven. Actually, but the fact is I would like to see the X-Files rebooted with uh, new characters, not recycling yeah, rehashing totally, the old characters. Yeah, so exactly. That's mm-hmm. not, and that's not the same. This is the idea of that thing that has been on forever. Uh, I, I'm just going to put it in now, though, um, that I, I want, uh, I want a, a detectorist reunion in a couple of years. So bring that back. Oh, yeah, let's put that on there bring for that sure. already, but... I don't know. Seinfeld seems like they could probably do five episodes. I, the thing that surprises me is that they, that NBC hasn't managed to do it with Friends yet. Because that can you imagine? Like, can, can you imagine that? That would be they would they would spend a lot of money on that. Um, but uh, it hasn't happened. 
maybe the yeah. maybe the uh, the actors would prefer not to revisit that. Right, like know. okay, we're we're done in that phase. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> what are they doing, really? What are they? Doing? I mean, Jennifer Aniston's in stuff and producing stuff, but most of them are available, is what I'm saying. Yeah, they probably are. Uh, all right. Uh, we got one more letter and it's Richard in the 831. He said, long time, first time. Welcome, Richard. Thank nice. You. Nice way to do the shorthand. He said, I want to mention there is a show that uses subtext subtitles. Fresh off the boat uses them for conversations between Jessica and her sister. It's usually funny. And they had an episode yes. where Jessica dropped the subtext, which was even funnier. So uh, <laughs> there's an episode of coupling where Captain subtext appears and begins to explain um, in subtitles what the subtext is. It's pretty funny too. Nice Captain subtext. So yes, there's not. It's not really a Captain subtext. It's just a, a concept. Anyway, Richard in the A31. Thank you. Subtext subtitles. It's out there. All right. So we haven't, uh, we're going to, I think that's it for this one. We are going mm-hmm. to do our incomparable membership draft of uh, TV shows, uh, but not yet. Not yet. We'll probably do it next week. Uh, we'll let you know when that is recorded. Uh, for, we need to do some research. For people who are supporting the incomparable mm-hmm. uh, and TV talk machine. It's going to be killer though when it happens. Oh yeah. Whenever that happens, it's going to be as, it's going to be almost as good as a meetup, which also has not yet happened, but might happen sometime. <laughs> Well, it'll happen eventually. Uh, yeah, you never sure. don't rule it out. Don't it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise, surprise me. me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, here's how you reach us. Uh, tweeting at TVTM is a good way to do it, and Twitter lets you p- type lots of characters now, so you can do that. And you can also email us podcast at tvtalkmachine.com. Uh, you can also find our Facebook page and post there. And at some point, maybe I will not hold it against Facebook and go check there, but not yet. I wouldn't advise it if you want me to oh. see it immediately. And that's it, Tim. Uh, I'll talk to you next week. Have a great weekend. All right. You too. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye.